exciting comebacks, late VAR drama and surprising results. This is last weekend in England for game week 10 of the Premier League. The weekend started on Friday with Crystal Palace against Newcastle. Newcastle won 2-0. Callum Wilson and Joelinton scored the two goals very late in the game. This was a very unpredictable game with Wilfred Zaha out, but there was still something that made me think that Palace will win it because they were playing at home and Newcastle had been bad lately. But then the 0-0 draw seemed like the very likely scenario and then what we saw from Joelinton was impressive. And in all honesty, with John Joshelvi back in the team, they look way more comfortable and the transition between defenses and attack is smoother. There is not much to say about Callum Wilson at this stage, but the credit has to go to Joelinton who is very hated, even a, well, I wouldn't say hated, but he's disliked, even among Newcastle fans. But he was the one that brought him these very important three points. Also, huge credit should go to Carl Darwell as well. Uh, for me, he has been the best keeper in the division this season, he has the second highest percentage of safe shots after Ugo Lloris, although Ugo Lloris has conceded 24 shots less. So, impressive performance from Darwell yet again. And stats from this game, Newcastle are not new to late game goals. This campaign they have 6 goals before the 83rd minute and 6 after the 83rd minute. Newcastle actually proves that they do not give up until the end and every team should be very, very cautious until the last minute against them. Palace have now failed to score for the third time in 4 games, uh, they have dropped to the 15th place. However, they still have their 13 points. Uh, positions are irrelevant in the league this year, especially as it's the 10th round, the difference to the first Right now is only 8 points, so you know, this loss is not the end of the world, however, they're definitely looking forward to Vilfred Zaha coming back to their team. And next week, Crystal Palace visit West Bromwich Albion, while Newcastle play with Aston Villa away. Saturday started with Brighton against Liverpool, 1-1. Diogo Jota scored for Liverpool, but then a late penalty scored by Pascal Gross brought Brighton a point. I am genuinely tired of talking about VAR and injuries after every Liverpool game. I support Liverpool, but, um, you know, the Salah decision, I hated it. Again, it's millimeters, it's centimeters, but this is the standard now. So it was the correct decision, it was consistent. And I also didn't like the penalty decision, but again, it was a clear penalty. Yes, Robertson said that uh, similar situations were not root penalties in the next day, but that doesn't mean that this decision wasn't correct. I feel that at the moment there's way too much talk regarding this team that doesn't involve football. And while there's been a lot of injuries, and uh, yes, the cycle is, is pretty tough on the players, Liverpool is not the only team that plays Saturday, Tuesday, but they're surely the most vocal one about it. Apart from that, it was a brilliant game of football. Liverpool is the team I support, but I love Brighton, and they exploited some spaces between Fabinho and uh, Nat Phillips on a number of occasions, and I think they deserve the point, despite of it coming from a late penalty. I also think that Liverpool played very well, and this game was a good example of their two faces. They were very chaotic in the first half and very structured in the second, with more possession and control. It is vitally important to sustain this way of playing if the Reds want to sustain their players and keep getting results. And in terms of stats, Diogo Jota becomes the fastest player to 5 goals for LFC in the Premier League alongside Robbie Fowler, needing only 8 games. The Portuguese has been flaming hot and once again proves how well Liverpool do business. Mohamed Salah, on the other hand, was replaced before the 17th minute for only the sixth time since playing for Liverpool when he has started and the only time he was taken out earlier than this game was against Man City three years ago when Klopp needed to field another defender on halftime because Mane got a red card. That explains why Sawa wasn't happy because he is used to play all 90 minutes. He's played all 90 minutes in every single game that he started this season in the Premier League. 
And in terms of Brighton, they had 2.1 expected goals against only 0.5 for Liverpool. That, of course, includes their penalty. The penalty Mope missed. They haven't allowed more than 1.8 expected goals, and yet they have already allowed 16. They have also allowed the second least shots against them on target, only 24, but have the lowest save percentage at 50%. Maybe they need to be looking at different keeper options because the, st the statistics show that they should be conceding less goals. And next week Brighton play Southampton at home while Liverpool play with Wolverhampton at Anfield. Next game was Man City against Burnley. One of the more predictable games of the round, Man City won 5-0. Riyad Mahrez scored a hat-trick, Ferran Torres and Mendy scored once each. This is the city that I like to see. Yes, I, I am a Liverpool fan and obviously, uh, you know, for example, two years ago when the teams were right next to each other in terms of points, I love to see them lose points. But I also love beautiful football. In the end of the day, I watch football for the joy of it. And Manchester City, when they play when they play like this, are one of the best in the business and one of the most enjoyable sides to watch. So I did enjoy this. And this is the best I've seen them play all season. But I just don't understand how this always happened. Burnley, who are, who are a good defensive side, they always get pounded so hard by City. This is their third 5-0 loss uh, in a row against them uh, on Etihad. But nothing changes for Burnley though. I'm sure that if you ask Sean Dyche before the game and he had to give like 100% honest answer, he would have expected a similar outcome. Uh, th these new five losses will continue probably to accumulate. Uh, and you know, after two or three years, they will just win one one new at Etihad. This is what usually happens. You know, you have a team that just beats and beats and beats another side again and again and again. And then comes a moment when they surprise them with a one new win or two new win. Uh, some stats from the game, Riyad Mahrez was sensational. He's a very polarizing player. One week people will say how he shouldn't be playing for City and next week everyone will say how underrated he is. For me it's simple, he's one of the best African players in the history of the Premier League. He now has 100 goal involvements in 206 games and he's only one of 6 African players to ever do it in the PL. But that doesn't mean that in some games he passes enough and that doesn't mean that in some games he doesn't slow City's game because he definitely does that. So, you know, we shouldn't be prisoners of the moment. Mares has his positives, but he also has his weaknesses, just like any other player. And as we said, Burnley just lost their third game in a row at Etihad with 5-0. Since they came back to the Premier League in 2016, they've lost five games with five, goal five goals difference. Three of them has been against City, their last three visits. And something interesting I found out. So Raheem Sterling started the game on the bench and didn't come in. And I checked how many times that has happened under Guardiola. Turns out since 2016, it's happened only 11 times. And what's more interesting is that City has won all of those 11 games with a goal difference of 50 to 4. It could be misunderstood because I think what it says more is that Sterling doesn't come in when City's game is going, is going well. It doesn't mean that necessarily City are better without him. And next week, City play Fulham at home, while Burnley play against Everton. Next was Everton against Leeds. Leeds won 1-0 after Rafinha scored a great goal. I think this game epitomizes why this is a very, very special season for the Premier League. We have Carlo Ancelotti and Marcelo Bielsa, who are two of the best coaches of the 21st century, coaching teams out of the top six. One of them, obviously, a team that just got promoted. And, you know, Carlo Ancelotti is a coach that's won European championships, and league titles everywhere. Bielsa is a coach that basically redefined the whole idea of pressing. So, you know, to have them coach Everton and Leeds in this campaign is just amazing. 
both teams playing attacking football uh, and you know the outcome was completely unpredictable despite their place in the ranking and both teams create loads of chances so the one the one goal doesn't do this game justice and a lot of credit should go to the keepers Meyer and Pickford and just to solidify why this season is so special so Everton lost Leeds won and after 10 games Everton are still 7th with 16 points only 5 away from the top while Leeds are 12th seven points away from the top so you know the season has been amazing yes it's probably all the weird factors with the covid and uh, the no rest and no fans has contributed but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't enjoy the football that these teams produce and the second takeaway from this game is a negative one for everton i don't think that richardson is a good finisher uh, I personally also don't like him as a player. I think he's very aggressive, and some of his tackles have been have been ludicrous. And he doesn't seem as a as a, as a player that appreciates other other players' health. Uh, and yes, he is a good player. He is very important for Everton, but he's not a good finisher. And Everton are paying for that. I remember one situation in this game when Hamas found him with a great pass, and he just shot it way above target. So while Covert Lune is a great finisher. Having Richarlison miss these clear chances will be bad for Everton as the season unfolds. few stats from this game. Calvin Phillips was sensational and proved how important he is for Leeds. The two 1-4 losses that came against Le- against Leicester and Crystal Palace came without him. And with him, Leeds are just better. Against Everton, he was the man of the match. He won 11 possessions of the ball and ran 12.1 km. So having him back in the squad is great for Marcelo Bielsa. And on the other side, how important Seamus Coleman is proving to be for Everton. Out of 10 games this season, he's played 6 and Everton has won 4 of them, had 1 draw and 1 loss. The other 4 games that he hasn't played, Everton have 1 win and 3 losses. Obviously he's important, he's their captain, but I think people underestimated how important exactly he would be for the Toffees. And next week, Everton visit Burnley at Turf Moor, while Leeds visit Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And the last game on Saturday was West Bromwich against Sheffield United. West Bromwich won 1-0 after an early goal from Gallagher. I think that this game just shows everything that is wrong with Sheffield United this season. The goal they allowed was so easy. So first of all, Sander Berget doesn't clear the ball well. And then Gallagher's shot is not that powerful and Ramsdale should absolutely react better. And then the misses. George Baldock's chance. Uh, Liz Musset's chance. These are opportunities that should be scored and they would make a huge difference. I still believe that Sheffield United are not as bad as 9 losses in 10 games and I will keep saying it. And actually something that made me even more positive about them and uh, a little more confident that they will manage to stay in the division is Chris Wilder's interview after the match. It was of great character and I like the way how he's so realistic and just said we need to have more points than 3 teams. This is this is their mantra now. Nothing, nothing matters more, you know. Last year they had a great year. Maybe this year they were looking to upgrade, but that doesn't matter anymore. They're in the position they are, they're accepting their fate. And from now on, with this mentality, I firmly believe that they will find it easier to get points. Because this is all. This is the way they will approach games from now on. We need to have more points than three teams, nothing else matters. Also, the way he discussed the question about Klopp was great. So the media tried to create a sensation, you know, Klopp was very vocal in his interview after after the, the Brighton game. He said some things about Chris Wilder, which I think, you know, were were not appropriate. In the end of the, in the, end of the day, you have to respect other managers' opinions. And uh, 
I think that Chris Wilder approached the situation perfectly, way better than than Jurgen Klopp. Uh, so I think that was that was a great way to handle it. He didn't let himself get into these shenanigans. And now they just have to be back at thinking, how can we get more points than three teams? To say something positive about West Bromwich Albion, they, they got their first win of the season in their 10th game. But this is actually the most they had to wait for a win in a Premier League campaign in all of their seasons, the previous record being eight games. However, something more negative about Sheffield United after the last, last game, we said that they were the worst team in the last 20 years after nine games. Now, talking about after 10 games, nothing changes. And uh, the four goals they have scored is actually a joint second worst goal scoring record after 10 games in the history of the Premier League. The only two teams that have done worse than them are Everton in 2005-2006 and Man City in 1995-96 when they had three goals after 10 games. Next week, West Bromwich plays against Crystal Palace at home while Sheffield United plays Leicester at Bramall Lane. Sunday started with Southampton against Man United. Man United won 3-2 after Southampton took a 2-0 lead in the first half. Jan Bednarek with a header and James Ward-Prowse from a free kick gave Southampton the lead. But after, the, after that, Cavani, Edinson Cavani, was the leading factor in the Man United comeback. He scored twice and he gave one assist to Bruno Fernandes to bring Man United the three points. I think that the game was very interesting in terms of an outcome, but didn't produce a necessarily exciting football. Wasn't impressed with Southampton at all, especially after the 60th minute when they didn't try, they didn't even try to play football. And Man United, while they showed a lot of character, were not convincing. However, I give them full credit for the character they showed, fighting for the win until the end and finally getting it. And I have to say a few more words about Cavani, who was so impressive. The he came with a bit of scrutiny. You know, his wage is quite big, and there were lots of fans who said that this move doesn't fit with the moves that Solskjaer has been trying to make. You know, bringing young players to the team, players that can that can gradually develop United back to the team that the fans want to see. Well, if today United didn't have Cavani, they would have to play Odioni Gao. And that shows what a difference there really is. You know, Cavani coming and, you know, if Igao came instead of him, the game would have been very, very different. He scored two goals that neither Rashford, neither Martial, nor Greenwood could score. And I think that he earned himself a starting position for at least the next few games playing the way he did. As I said, for me, Southampton were underwhelming. Their goals were sorely produced by James Ward-Prowse, who had a goal and assist in his second game this month, and third overall for Southampton in 241 matches. So he's playing the best football of his career, undoubtedly. But I think that Walcott and Che Adams, and even Armstrong, could have brought more to the team, especially after taking the two-new lead, Man United in the second, you know, tried to tried to move the game more to Southampton, and said they should have used their speed, but they just couldn't do it. And just to prove how big this win is for United, it is their eighth consecutive away win, which is the first time the team has ever done it in their history. It is also the first time they win their first four away games since 1985-86, and they have also won all their away games despite conceding first. This United team is back in the mix now with 16 points and the game in hand, and if they win that game in hand, they'll be only two points away from the top. And next week, Southampton visits Brighton, while Man United play against West Ham in London. Next was the blockbuster game of this round, Chelsea against Tottenham Hotspurs. It finished new new, and to be fair, I was quite disappointed because I expected more from Spurs in particular. I thought that they would go out in a different way than their game against City and would try to win it, but they didn't. And all their attempts were blocked by the phenomenal Kante and a really good Thiago Silva and Kurt Zuma. 
but they were also very organized on the back. So as a whole, I would say that this game showed two very capable and well-structured teams who played their way of football, Chelsea holding the ball and Spurs waiting for counter-attack, but were just limited because of the other side's good defense. However, I want to give credit to a player of each, of each side. Tangin Dombele for me was phenomenal. Uh, he's an incredible dribbler and watching him play is a real pleasure. While Mason Mount for Chelsea for me was the best player on the pitch, at age 21, he seems like the one constant figure in both Lampard and Gareth Southgate formation for Chelsea in England. And that speaks for itself. The guy's always giving everything he has. Uh, he's very creative and he knows how to make the players around him better. But what's more important is that, while you know on their best day, Mason Mount is probably not as good as Kai Havertz or Timo Werner uh, or you know Hakim Ziyech, but you know that every game you're going to get from him the consistency and you know a certain level, while from the others you're not sure you're getting that every game. So I think that's what make, makes him special and I think that's what is going to uh, help him to have a really successful career. And in terms of stats, Spurs have definitely improved their defense. In the first five games, they allowed eight goals. In the next five, they allowed only one goal. However, there is the other side of the story as well. In the first five games, they scored 15 goals, while in the next five, they scored only six. Let's make the same analogy for Chelsea. In their first five games, they allowed nine goals, while in the next five, they allowed only one. And Kurt Zuma and Thiago Silva, playing together in the center of the defense, have allowed only one goal until now. That just proves that they're the right selection to play when they're both healthy. And next week, the game for both teams, Chelsea host Leeds United while Spurs play against Arsenal at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. The last game on Sunday was Arsenal against Wolverhampton. Wolverhampton won 2-1 after Pedro Neto and Daniel Puden scored for them. Gabriel scored between Wolverhampton's goals. However, Arsenal lost. First of all, I have to say, let's hold on Raul Jimenez. It's okay. In the end of the day, this is the most important thing. No one wants to play football and uh, get a serious injury. Just to confirm the craziness of this season though, so Arsenal against Wolverhampton at home, at Emirates Stadium, Arsenal losing, and I expected that, it didn't surprise me in no way. However, Wolves surprised me, the two, the 4 2 3 one formation looks great, and uh, too bad they lost Raul Jimenez, but even without him, I'm interested, I'm interested to see how this formation will progress, whether Santo will just put Fabio Silva in there, or will move in Ruben Neves, while giving Neto Podence and Traore even more offensive responsibility. And they're an insane trio. Uh, I said that Wolves should probably sell Adama in the winter, but now I don't think so. I want to see how this three can play together, because it, it feels like uh, they can really bring something to each other, you know, Neto and Podence being like very quick and very technical and agile, while Adama Traore just being this physical force of nature. And I don't really know what to say about Arsenal, because it just feels that there should be changes everywhere on the pitch for them. And that, that actually is... It doesn't make any sense for me, because many of the players in this game played so much more, so much better in the first months of, of Arteta. You know, Granit Xhaka was rejuvenated. Obama Young was scoring go after goal. Something happened after that loss against Leicester that ended the natural progression of this team. Uh, and maybe it was the formation switch... Because when you switch from 3-4-3 to 4-3-3 and now to 4-2-3-1, it definitely makes difference. And so I wonder whether Arteta will actually switch back to 3-4-3 because they still don't play good football in this formation, but they also don't win points. So maybe at this stage it's important to bring back the confidence to this team to show them that they can still win games in the Premier League. 
And I spoke about Aubameyang's slow start after game week 6, when he had only one goal in 6 games, but also worse shooting stats than last year. Now, with 10 games passed, he has 2 goals, which is his worst start since 2010, when he was 21, he was playing in the French League 1 and he had again 2 goals after 10 games. He's also recording only 1.7 shots, when his least for Arsenal was 2.38 in his first campaign. He needs to be better, he needs to be leading this team, it just really feels like after he signed his contract, he's been worse. I feel like this is generally the thing about Arsenal players. I remember a couple of years ago, Santi Casorla, he was incredible, then he signed his contract, and then he was not just not good enough. I, I wonder uh, why, why that happens. And just to show how different these teams are right now, this is Wolverhampton's best start to a Premier League campaign after 10 games, and this is Arsenal's worst start after 10 games in the Premier League of all the season they've played. And next week, Arsenal visit Tottenham Hotspurs, while Wolverhampton visit Liverpool at Anfield. The early game on Monday was Leicester against Fulham, 4-1, 2-1. Adamo Lukman and Ivan Cavallero scored for them. Cavallero scored from the penalty spot, which was, you know, incredible. A Fulham player scoring from the penalty spot. And then Harvey Barnes scored a late goal for Leicester to bring back the hopes. However, they still lost the game. Watching Fulham for a few weeks, one could clearly see that this team is capable. They have decent players, they play good football, and now they found the perfect moment to get a great win. And you know, when you're a team that's fighting for relegation, an away victory against any top 10 side is a bonus. And seeing Scott Parker's boys celebrating in the end was really great because they deserved this win. On the other side, Leicester were just ridiculous on the back. After only one allowed goal in three games against Arsenal, Leeds and Wolves, I was quite quick to ride the hype train of Fofana, for example, and thought that they were a stable defensive team, but they're not, and they were actually lucky that Fulham scored only two because the, some of the mistakes they made were literally hilarious. But Johnny Evans seems to have made things actually worse, and I won't be surprised if Brendan Rodgers come back to four defenders next week because this doesn't seem to be working right now. And just to prove that Leicester has been has been worse lately, they have lost four of their last six home games. They've lost four of their previous 24 before that, so they definitely need to be better at King Power Stadium. And for Fulham, this is their first win against a top four side since 2013, when they beat the Spurs. Next week for both teams, Leicester visit Sheffield United, while Fulham play against Man City at Etihad. And the last game of the round, West Ham against Aston Villa. West Ham won 2-1, Angelo Bonascourt in the first minute of the game, then Jack Grealish with a great goal got Aston Villa back in the game, but Jared Bowen opened the second half again with a very early goal for West Ham. I think this was an undeserved win for West Ham. They played football for around 5 minutes at the start of both halves, while Aston Villa were constantly trying. In all honesty, this was the, the worst display I've seen from West Ham in the last few weeks. Even against the likes of Man City and Liverpool, they played better. But this makes the win even sweeter, because West Ham now have 17 in 10 games, which is actually 17 in 8, because they lost their first two. They have only one loss in 8 games against the champions, Liverpool. And they, but I still think that they should have started Sebastian Haller today after his goal against Sheffield United, rather than Mikael Antonio. Obviously, Antonio is probably going to be the long-term option in front of Haller, but for today, I believe that with him, they could have been even better. However, a win is a win. We can't question Moise's decisions now. For Aston Villa, this is fourth loss in five games. In those five games, they're the third worst team in the Premier League, with only Everton and Sheffield United being worse. Villa conceded two goals yet again, and just like against Brighton, they were given the opportunity to attack 
for really long periods of time, but they didn't succeed. And I'm not sure what they can do next game. I don't I don't think that there's something particularly wrong with them. Yes, they still concede goals, but I wonder whether there's a better option than Minx and Cons on the bench. And in attack, they create chances. They just have to wait for Barkley to get back and to try to win games. I'm not sure what the expectations for them were at the start of the season. Obviously, after that impressive start with the 7-2 uh, victory against Liverpool and uh, with the four with the four wins in four games they probably thought that they can fight for european for Euro- europa league they have to be realistic i think that finishing somewhere on the middle of the table would be the best case scenario for them west ham are the first team to score in the first minute of both halves since manchester city in 2018 and this is their first three wins in a row since may 2019 when they beat spurs southampton and watford Oli Watkins missed the penalty for Aston Villa. This is his fourth missed penalty in his career out of six. So my question is, why did he shoot the penalty? What's going on in the Premier League this year that they pick players that are genuinely not really good at penalties? And next week for both teams, West Ham play against Man United at home, while Aston Villa are host to Newcastle. So let's look at the predictions from last week. I predicted that Man City will beat Burnley comfortably. They did, 5-0. And I predicted that Spurs would beat Chelsea. They didn't. It was new-new. And to be fair, I expected them to play way better than that. So this was not a good pick at all. Predictions for next round. I think that Chelsea will beat Leeds at home. And my hot pick is that Burnley will not lose against Everton. And the player of the round is Edinson Cavani. Obviously, Riyad Mahrez was really tough to beat with his hat-trick. But Cavani's impact on this United team was much bigger for me. He was the sole reason that they won. This game, he came in, great assist, great two goals. Cavani is the player of the round. So that was everything for today. Another exciting round of football is coming up. So until next week.